welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks so much for tuning in here. We've convened a special episode of the podcast for a group discussion about what we've seen in recent days with uh, the Ida storm and the fallout, the devastation in New York and beyond, uh, the death toll that we've seen in New York City and elsewhere, and all the questions that this storm and its impact have raised about uh, how New York City, New York State, the federal government, and elsewhere are uh, dealing with a changing climate, severe weather, questions about resiliency, use of space, urban planning, and so much more. So I got uh, together a few experts here that you'll hear from momentarily to discuss a lot of what we've seen in the storm. We're talking here on Friday, September 3rd, just a few days after Ida hit New York City and New York State and beyond, and discussing what we've seen and what comes next, both in the short term and the long term, uh, and really trying to focus on solutions here. Uh, if you've missed any recent episodes of the Max Politics podcast here, please find them wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. We've had some really interesting and important discussions on a number of key topics. A lot of the focus recently has been the major change in power in New York state government with the downfall of Governor Andrew Cuomo and his resignation and Governor Kathy Hochul taking over. And of course, very quickly on Governor Hochul's plate here uh, is a major emergency that she's been dealing with, and we'll get into that with our guests soon. In recent weeks, we've talked with Comptroller Tom DiNapoli of New York State, with Senate Deputy Leader Michael Gennaris, and with some other elected officials and activists and advocates, some very smart people talking about things related to the eviction moratorium, government reform and ethics and much more. So do find those wherever you get podcasts at Max Politics. Or if you don't get podcasts anywhere, you can still find them at the Gotham Gazette website. All right. For this discussion here today, uh, I'm really pleased to be joined by three special guests uh, who on, on late notice were all willing to join me. And I really appreciate that. Uh, you, I'll let them introduce themselves uh, more fully in just a second, but I'm happy to be joined today by Rob Freudenberg, the Vice President for Energy and Environment at Regional Plan Association. Rob, thanks so much for being here. You, Ben. Maritza Silva Farrell is the Executive Director of Align New York, which is part of the New York Renews Coalition. Maritza, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me. And Danny Harris is the Executive Director of Transportation Alternatives. Danny, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. So why don't we go right back in that same order to say a little bit more about what you do and what your organization does, Rob. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, um, as you said, I'm the Vice President for Energy and Environment at RPA. Uh, for those of you who don't know RPA, it's a nearly 100-year-old organization that focuses on the uh, health, equity, prosperity, and sustainability of the New York City metropolitan region. Uh, we're a research planning and advocacy organization, so we like to say that we, we research uh, ideas in, in close collaboration with partners, uh, and then that that are that make for good planning, and then we advocate to see those ideas through. 
Um, so yeah, we the work I do focuses a lot on the intersection of kind of our, our built and natural environments, um, where we see these tensions uh, that we're we're living through today, and uh, the, the frame of of the work we do is largely through climate change. Uh, so while we're historically an open space organization uh, in terms of our environmental work, uh, in addition to our transportation and, and community work, uh, we've shifted that in recent years to focus on uh, the, the threat of climate change to, to all the, the good uh, planning that we, we need to do. So this is a very ripe topic, a very important topic, and, and we're thrilled to be here. Thank you, Maritza. So my name is Maritza Silva Farrell. Um, I am the executive director of Align. Um, and Align, the Alliance for Agrarian New York, is a long-standing alliance of labor and community organizations that have been working together at the intersection of the two biggest threats that we see at, uh, this time around, and which are income inequality and climate change. Um, Align works at these intersections, and we identify that economy, environment, and equity are the three components to be able to build a movement for Progressive change in our city and in our state. We build coalitions um, like the Climate Works for All coalition here in New York City that has been tackling these issues and building up specific policy solutions, as well as we are um, a member of the steering committee of New York Renews, as you have mentioned before, that recently passed um, in 2019, the, I would say, the most transformational uh, climate policy in the country. Uh, so that's what we do, and we work very closely with environmental justice organizations, labor unions, grassroots organizations, faith groups, um, just so that we can actually get to the um, to the issues of this time. Yeah, thank you. I mentioned one of the coalitions you're involved with in, the, in, in introducing you, and, and I know all the groups here are often working with, with other groups and, uh, and forming coalitions and, and pushing uh, and for, for different policies. Um, Danny, go ahead. Hi, I'm Danny Harris. I'm honored to be executive director of Transportation Alternatives. We've been working for almost 50 years in New York to reclaim space from the automobile and advocate for better walking, biking, public transit, and quite simply safe streets for, for New Yorkers. You know, if we look at the lived experience for New Yorkers now, you know, the reality is that we, we have rising levels of traffic violence. Transportation is the second leading cause of greenhouse gas emissions in the state. Commute time is one of the single biggest indicators of moving people out of generational poverty. It's important to stress that healthcare workers have the longest commute time in New York. You know, and you can sort of take the negative externalities of our failed car-based policies to, to every corner of the city. So our, our focus is to reimagine our streets as a, as a space for people, as a space for opportunity, as a pathway to recovery. And in doing so, we can help to you know, address climate change. We can help to address environmental and racial injustice. We can help to create a more livable city. And, and it's important to stress that in all of that, New York can stay a, a wonderfully vibrant, quirky, and, and, and messy place, and we can still do so by prioritizing people instead of automobiles. So that has been and will remain our focus as an organization. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you all uh, joining me today and also just the work you do and, and those introductions. Um, so uh, Hurricane Ida was making its way to New York and, and New York City, especially, um, which is our focus, of course, uh, this this week. What was what were each of you thinking as um, you know the storm was was heading our way? There were some real projections of the damage that it could um, inflict, the type of rain that it could could bring. 
Um, what were what were you thinking as it was approaching, and and what were your sort of immediate reactions to what we saw unfold when it hit uh, so so violently, so deadly uh, earlier this week? Um, Maritza, what how were you thinking about it as it was approaching, and what did you make of of what happened when it when it did hit? Yeah, Ben. So, I mean, I think at that moment when as the storm was uh, hitting our city, um, my first thought was um, that it's been nine years um, since uh, Superstorm Sandy um, and how little progress we have made in the city to be able to create the right infrastructure, particularly in environmental justice communities and communities that have uh, you know, been affected not only by climate change, by, uh, but also by um, the devastation of the way in which we set up our systems. Um, you know, we generally don't take care of the people who need it the most, um, folks of color, low income. Uh, so that was the first thought that I have. Um, and then I remember not too long ago, we just had uh, the report release of the IPCC, the climate report that came out. So these have been uh, warning signs for quite a bit already. And, and we already know um, that Earth is warmer than it's been in the 125 years. Um, and that is something that is, is showing up you know, every other week. Two weeks ago, we have about two inches of rainfall. Um, then we have this this week, we're seeing what's happening in the West Coast, um, droughts and hurricanes and it's, it's devastating, but also it shows how little attention we are actually giving to this issue. We talk a good talk. <laughs> Policymakers are just passing policies. We're actually doing some good work here in New York, but we're not doing enough. Um, the reliance on fossil fuels continue to be a big problem. And until we actually address the root causes of all this, we're not going to be able to get to where we need to be. So those were my first thoughts. And I personally, I actually felt even more committed to continue to ensure that CLCPA implementation, the Climate Leadership Community Protection Act, um, get to be implemented the way that it should be here in the state and to continue activating some of the work around creating funding mechanisms to address all of these problems that we're facing here. Right, Those were right. my thoughts at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's make sure we come back to the CLCPA. That's obviously the landmark state law that was passed a couple of years ago. And there's been a lot of questions as you just sort of got at a little bit in terms of how New York state is going to follow that up with implementation. So let's make sure we come back to that soon. Rob, how, how about you? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a storm watcher uh, on Twitter. Um, so, you know, I, I followed Ida uh, kind of through on, on its path through through Louisiana and, and like to look ahead to, to where it was projected to come. And as it got closer and closer to the day, uh, I could see that this was going to be um, a storm that uh, really takes aim at cities. Um, it, the path was over Philly, over Newark, over New York City. And, and a storm like this, with, with the amount, the intensity it brings and the amount of moisture it brings, uh, I was really concerned. Um, you know, we had done a report uh, back in July where we had kind of the, the first of, of these for the summer record rains uh, showing that, um, you know, New York City has done a good job of mapping 
where they estimate uh, extreme precipitation is going to affect uh, neighborhoods and places. Uh, and we overlaid those with transit stations because uh, what gets a lot of attention is uh, flooding subways. Um, and, and so I was thinking of that report and thinking, well, kind of here we go again. Uh, this, is, this is probably going to happen. Uh, I didn't anticipate how bad it would be. Uh, I didn't, you know, as it struck um, and just kind of seeing the devastation, seeing the videos, watching the floods, um, it, it struck me that this was uh, another Sandy moment. Because uh, if Sandy um, was the wake-up call for our region for what coastal storms can do with um, waters coming over the edges uh, where, where we usually keep it out, this is now a wake-up call for uh, storms that, that drench us from the sky. And, and we are not prepared for it. And, and we realized that and, and saw that and, and people died because of it. Uh, and that this is, this is something uh, that we all need to take very seriously and, and change the way we plan, change the way we pay for things and, and kind of change our approach uh, to how we use our space. Um, so I think, you know, it, the, the idea that struck me is that like out West, how there are wildfires that they have to live with uh, happening periodically and, and continuously, uh, that water uh, here is our wildfire and we're going to have to manage it and, and change the way we plan and change the way we live uh, to, to live with it because it's going to keep happening and it's going to keep coming. And our cities and our infrastructure and the people in our cities are the targets of this water. Yeah, I think it's been so interesting how, you know, because of Sandy's devastation, you know, the idea of sort of uh, waterway storm surge has been so much on people's mind, you know, for years as this, this sort of massive threat to to New York City. But of course, now we're seeing with these, you know, just with this this flooding of, of all various parts of the city through um, you know, these, these torrential rains that it's a, it's a, another type of the way that, you know, water is, is a threat. Um, and, and so you mentioned the idea of planning, uh, and, and let's definitely, you know, come back momentarily to some of your, your thoughts on, on how New York city, New York state and beyond need to need to plan better here. Uh, but Danny, how, how are you, you know, sort of thinking about the anticipation of this storm and, and it's, it's initial impact. Thanks, Ben. So I, I think, first of all, we, we need to acknowledge the awful human tragedy here. And, and obviously, you know, we send our deepest condolences to those who, you know, were, were living and many of whom were, were in basements, uh, tragically, as um, as the storm came in and, and they died. Uh, and so what we see is is just ongoing failure. Uh, so if, if New York is not taking bold action as it has not to get ahead of this climate fuel tragedy, which is disproportionately impacting low-income immigrants and communities of color, especially, um, then we're going to continue to see the same pattern. So I, I think, in a way, we view this, you know, as as all of us are, are advocates who have been uh, yelling, screaming, using every platform we have to scream from the, the top of the tallest uh, buildings in New York City that. Uh, climate change is real, that there are real solutions, and that, you know, from our perspective, uh, no amount of death, whether it's a child crossing the street or a superstorm, seems to be enough to move our elected officials to inconvenience a few drivers and, and take away this incredibly precious asset that we have, which is street space, and start to repurpose it uh, for the needs of all New Yorkers, including getting ahead of, of, well, I wouldn't say get ahead of, where we're trying to catch up with the impacts of climate change. 
So six months ago, TA uh, and many partners, including those on this call, uh, advanced a plan called 25 by 25, calling for our next mayor to repurpose 25% of street space by 2025. You know, fundamentally, we view secondly to people is, is space is the greatest asset that we have in the city and we're squandering it. And so we will continue to have storms. We will continue to have traffic violence. We will continue to have communities left behind and all of them are connected. And for us, all of it is based on this failed car first policy and an inability of our elected leaders to simply inconvenience a few drivers for the benefit of all New Yorkers and to avoid uh, this climate emergency that uh, is not just knocking on our door, but it's, it's, it's pounding on our city and it's killing some of our most vulnerable. Danny, just quickly, why don't you continue on that? Explain to people, if you can, in brief, you know, how uh, a car-centric uh, policymaking and use of space is doing that. Sure. Well, other than the other than the emissions that uh, you know, one of the interesting things I, w- I would I would hope we could get into in this conversation is sort of the different layers of the problem and the solutions here, and the you know the the big focus that there has been, of course, on greenhouse gas emissions, uh, climate change, a warming globe, and what that does, and then also sort of the basics of infrastructure, the basics of city planning that um, even if there hadn't been uh, a warming globe over over decades and beyond, and there hadn't been more extreme weather, weather, we'd probably be facing a lot of problems with uh, infrastructure needs based on a growing population and uh, and city planning and urban planning that's just not keeping up. So, um, but but beyond the, the emissions from cars, say a little bit more about how you're assessing that problem. Yeah, well, I, I think I just want to go back to, to failure and I'll con- continue to use this word. Um, you know, every inch of this city uh, is failure in that it doesn't prioritize people over vehicles. Uh, in New York City, this city squanders, it's, again, it's, it's, it's one of its most valuable resources, which is space on, on vehicles. 75% of our streets are devoted to the movement and storage of vehicles. 75% in a city where the minority of households own a car, where the vast majority of people walk, take public transit, ride a bike, and we still you know, are, are living in the situation where we have 3 million free parking spaces in New York. So these decisions, whether you drive or not, are failing everybody. New York, has, New York City has the worst traffic in the nation. You know, we have the rising levels of traffic violence now three years in a row, and this will be the deadliest year on our streets since Mayor de Blasio took office. You, know, you look at the asthma alley in the Bronx, which has the worst health indicators in the entire state. You look again at healthcare workers who have the longest commute time in this city, uh, you know, uh, and, and the fact that that um, traffic violence remains the leading cause of death for children around the world. So all of the things that we're talking about, it's important to put them in the frame of how our city is approaching them or not approaching them. Electric vehicles will not save us. EVs, AVs, SUVs, it doesn't matter what type they are. They're still taking up space and they're ruining our city. This notion of taking visionary plans that will land by 2050, we don't have the time. We didn't have the time 10 years ago to wait till till 2050. We need immediate action now. And our mayor controls our streets. Our mayor, this one or the next, controls the streets and can immediately make these changes. So, you know, what we're talking about, it's important to stress that the mayor has ownership, the mayor controls the streets. And again, these, these streets can serve as a pathway to recovery and opportunity and sustainability and, and our mayors and our leaders are squandering that opportunity by giving it to a minority of, of people who, who, need, who choose to get around by a car, who have the privilege of getting around by a car. 
if I can you are good. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, please. Oh, oh, just uh, sorry, uh, just to jump in on, on Danny's point, uh, you know, kind of the, the frame of this tragedy um, and the extreme precipitation that's going to keep happening when Danny's talking about streets, storms like these turn every street and paved surface into a stream bed uh, that brings water into places we don't want water to be, whether it's subway stations or basements or even inside cars where, where people died with devastating consequences. So I, I think the opportunity for our streets uh, is, is huge. And, and I think Danny and his team have laid out a great vision uh, for, for how to bring the streets back to people. And, and I would just add on to that. We're, we're going to release a report in, in a few weeks uh, that looks at the streets and builds on the vision that Danny's talking about and says, well, how can we use our streets as systems, uh, including systems for managing stormwater? Um, we need to soften our streets. We need green infrastructure. We need to capture this water before it gets into the basement. You know, the bad news is, is that uh, climate change exacerbates existing problems uh, from low quality, affordable housing uh, to, to all the inequities that it exacerbates. But the good news is by, by really taking on climate change, um, by mitigation and adaptation, we have the opportunity uh, to solve those problems while addressing the climate crisis. Maritza, what are some of the biggest um, failures that what we've seen with Ida, um, you know, have have brought to mind for you as you, you know, as you look at at statewide policy, as you look at decisions in New York City, as you think about, um, you know, like I said, sort of the changing um, climate, but then also the the infrastructure. Um, and they're obviously connected, but what are some of the, the pinpoints there that you have been thinking about in terms of, of failures that really need um, needed action in the past, but certainly need urgent action now? Well, um, I do think that um, one of the biggest failures here has been the fact that analysis and data collection has been the a priority for this administration. Uh, we recently saw the report that uh, was released on the Stormwater Resiliency Plan. Um, if you look at that report, that report itself, you know, talks about a timeline that gets us to past 2035, right? And this issue is needs to be addressed right now. This has to be a priority today, yesterday, nine years ago, right? Like we talked about this during, really after uh, Paul Sandy in the rebuilding and the recovery efforts when Mayor de Blasio was elected, there was a commitment to actually do things differently. So I think the failure here has been mostly to just, like I said earlier, talk, you know, really good policy, great ideas, um, the, the current mayor has done some work. We were successful on in terms of, of passing a, a law like Local 97 uh, that would make it so that large buildings will uh, up, be upgrading, doing retrofits, um, and that actually will help in terms of the reduction of emissions in the city. Speaking of greenhouse gas emissions, 70% of emissions in the city comes from buildings. And when we talk about the way in which we want to rebuild our city and the infrastructure that needs to be taking place, it's not only about the highways or the streets, it's also about the places where people live, right? And the places where people work. And those are the places that today we're seeing are underwater. That yesterday, the day before, are still cleaning up, 
right? So the infrastructure and the investment has to come from the private and the public sector, right? Like, so what we've seen is just the delay, the constant delay on timelines, on policies that we have been able to win uh, with a movement of people really raising these issues for years. It took us about six years to pass Local 97. That gives you an example of how little operatization it has been given to actually activate some of these policies rather than just, um, you know, putting good ideas in paper. Marissa, why does it take so long? What's, I mean, you know, obviously there's always inertia. There's always questions about, you know, disrupting the status quo. Uh, There's obviously uh, very powerful interests that are often at play that need to be potentially disrupted. Um, but, but when we've seen a Sandy, when we've heard this talk, I mean, it was just striking to me in the aftermath here of Ida, how much, you know, hearing from a new governor stuff we've heard from the previous governor, how much we're hearing from the mayor that this mayor has said already. Um, why, what do you have anything other than the obvious that's sort of the assessment of why this stuff is taking so long? Why even the execution of plans laid out after Sandy, you know, are so far behind? What's what's at the root of this? I mean, the reality is that the root of this is money and is corporate interest and is the interest of the real estate. Um, and that I want to actually just name because the reality is that specifically on an, a law like Local 97, we are seeing a lot of pushback from the real estate industry. There is a lot of questions about like, we don't have money, the compliance mechanism is too hard. And there is always complaints and complaints. And the private sector really aren't doing the right thing, right? Like, so government can do just as much, but we need to actually have the collaboration of the folks who are also benefiting and profiting out of the, the out of all of this catastrophe. And let me be clear, I think right now we are facing not only climate change, I actually want us to just call it what it is, is climate destruction, climate devastation what we're facing here. We talk about the people's lives, you know, this is not something that just too many people just dying overnight. There are things happening in the West Coast. There are things happening in our neighborhoods today, right? So I think the the lack of uh, private and public collaboration is one problem. The lack of collaboration between state and city government is another problem. I mean, we've seen it through the issues with Governor Cuomo or former Governor Cuomo and um, Mayor de Blasio. The lack of collaboration in terms of implementing policies, the lack of collaboration interest in making the right investments in the right places. So that's another issue. And I will just touch on one more thing around public buildings, because that's another piece that is mm. critical here. Um, recently, I released a, an op-ed with a partner of us from IBW Local 3, speaking about renewable energy specifically for public schools mm-hmm. and focusing any investment to go into the installation of HVAC systems to improve the air quality of those buildings. That's part of the infrastructure plan that gets at two points, gets at the issue of upgrading buildings, particularly all buildings, and to the issue of ensuring that our kids are gonna go into a school um, that has some air quality when we're seeing that we have a now Delta and COVID is still here with us. So we have multiple crises that we need to address and all of these issues need to be seen in an intersecting way and addressing those and the time that, that is necessary rather than waiting until 2035 to implement these laws. Rob, your organization, Regional Plan Association is often also good at identifying problems, hurdles, 
other things you want to name in terms of um, the, the, the issues with not addressing uh, climate change, its impacts, severe weather, uh, more directly, more quickly, anything else you see as really standing in the way here um, that has been challenges for years now, but, you know, really needs a new focus um, as we come out of another devastating storm and de- and opportunity to now refocus on some of these issues? Yeah, if I can put it simply, I mean, change is hard. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's a, it's a sad statement um, because change is, is necessary. Um, you know, policy changes, projects, these things take time for, for many reasons and, and they take agreement. And, and we're really in short supply of, of both of those things. You know, we've never um, adapted to climate change before, um, and so we don't know how to do it. We're, we're, we're trying to do it while it's happening, and we're doing it too late. Um, and so all the, the mechanics of government and how it works and all the, you know, the bureaucracy that's involved, uh, it's just not set up to handle uh, a crisis, an ongoing crisis like this. Government can step into a crisis like a storm and bring all its you know, weight to it and, and get people uh, on the road to recovery. But to completely change how we're developing and, and living um, is extremely hard. And there are folks you know, that have been screaming about this for years, uh, but, but government is slow to respond and, and we're trying to catch up. They are trying to catch up. But even something like the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, that is a, a landmark law that basically sets in motion bureaucratic change. Uh, it has these has lofty goals, long-term goals, but we're spending years uh, trying to figure out how we change the mechanics of government to start to begin to figure out how we're going to meet those goals. Uh, this is slow and this is problematic and, and we need to be in a crisis mode uh, since this is a, a crisis. So we we need to look at new models of how we're doing things. We need to look at new models of, of governance um, and we need to listen to the people who are affected by this uh, very closely. For Rob or anybody else, you know, one of the things I think about here is, you know, the city is spending close to $20 billion a year on its capital program, right? So that's the, the separate budget on infrastructure, basically, than the expense, bu- expense budget, which is uh, over almost $100 billion now at this point on the expense side. But the city is spending somewhere close to $20 billion a year on capital. And and one of the things, you know, that I think about when something like this happens or when we discuss NYCHA, and there's obviously overlap here, or whatever the other real emergencies are, is, okay, how how can the city sort of reprioritize? Um, and it's not always easy to identify areas that should get less spending, right? And I don't know, Rob, if there's, you know, things that RPA has identified or any, you know, Maritza, Danny, you know, if there, there's things that are identifiable that, you know, there's too many sort of, I don't know, pet projects in city council members, districts that are getting funding that really are not at the level of emergency, but, you know, they like to do ribbon cuttings. I don't know, you know, I need to look into that closer and we will at Gotham Gazette, but, but are there, you know, massive ways to sort of reprioritize uh, capital spending in the city to do this more quickly, to do this more urgently? Well, I, I just want to start then with, with this this vision of what New York is and what we think of success. And I think New York does a, a very good job of telling a story to the outside world uh, about being a, a climate-centered city or a bike-friendly city. 
and the lived reality, the lived reality of being in the city is, you know, our subways flood way too often. Our bike infrastructure is failing people, you know, an inability to, to build and scale bioswales or put trash, move it off of our sidewalk and, and put it into containers, all of which have obviously devastating environmental consequences is when you come back to it is that we're, we're just a really bad startup. So in, in any other model, when you pilot something that can take a year or decades as we've done in New York, and it actually proves incredibly successful. I mean, look at the transformation of 14th Street of moving from the slowest to the fastest busway and giving that space back to people. And you know, all of these other models coming back to our waterfront, building out protected bike infrastructure, reimagining public space, putting more green space in, building more trees. New York has no shortage of data points about when we have piloted programs that lead the nation, and yet where is the scale? You know, we lack the leadership to actually take what's working in New York. We don't need to bring every politician to Paris and London or Copenhagen and see what's actually working. We need to take elected officials from Albany and New York to the corners of New York City that actually have proven these models and start asking our leadership why they continue to fail to scale what they know works in New York, what we've had to fight for. We don't have to say this works there, but not here. And say, why aren't you bringing this across the city, especially to the to the to the most vulnerable communities, especially the EJ communities? So I, I just come back to this notion of a failure of leadership. It, it's and, and part of it is imagination, but but the reality is it's about scaling what is already working in New York. We already have the tools in place. We just simply have proven an inability of leadership to scale them and bring them to every corner of the city. And obviously, there's much more we need to do, but we can start with that. Uh, just quickly, I'm glad you brought up trash and containerization. Obviously, there's challenges with moving to this type of thing. But this is, you know, this is one of the things I'm getting at with how what I've been thinking about it, which is, yes, of course, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, emissions, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about things at various levels. But we also need to talk about keeping the catch basins and the sewers clear of, of all the trash that you just walk around any neighborhood in New York City. And you see on, a, on an average day, just everything is is in danger of flooding because there's trash all over the place. Uh, you know, these, these are, these are not complicated things that blow my mind about, you know, municipal government here. Uh, Maritza, go, go ahead. I was just going to say like, you know, the city has more than a century old sewer system. I just read that somewhere recently. And, you know, this is a city that is, uh, you know, a model for the world. Um, and that is a problem. And we, on top of this are on the coastal lines, Right. So if we're on the coastal lines, we have a very old sewer system. This is actually what we're seeing this week is expected. Right. And and to the point that Danny is talking about, I think one of the pieces that um, are important to address here is the ways in which we actually allocate funds, which is get to the point that you're you're mentioning, Ben, and investing in our city's resilience and sustainability and ensuring that there is a we can establish a more sort of a streamline of emergency relief funds uh, or, or some kind of system when something happens, it's critical. And I don't think the thought process right now in terms of how do we address these issues is really comprehensive. We are just patching holes. And that is where that's the, the, the root of the problem in terms of how do we are addressing these kind of crises uh, in terms of the, the city's agencies. They have multiple agencies. You have like, you know, they, 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 yeah. anyway, all kinds of names of agencies. Just, just get 
something more comprehensive. Um, and that will probably help us to be able to make sure that the funding goes in the right place, especially right now that maybe we get to talk about it at the Congress uh, and how, I mean, they're actually discussing right now huge amount of money that can be coming into the state. Um, so anyway, we talk about this yeah, and I'd love to make well, sure that we, we touch on that. Two things before I throw it to you, Rob, you know, Eric Adams, the very likely next mayor of New York City, talks a lot about um, efficiency in government. You know, this I should have said this as part of my point earlier about, you know, looking at the capital spending. Where does the money come from if you want to shift it into other places? It's not only about that. It's about being more efficient, making dollars go further. We know we have a major issue with that in, in New York State, New York City, whether it's the MTA or city agencies, how long projects take, how they always go over budget. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's been, you know, design build changes in some cases to help improve those timelines and those budgets. But, you know, there's more to be done there. Eric Adams is talking a good game, at least about more efficiency in city government and efficiencies are and making agencies work better together. Uh, so, so that is somewhat promising as we look for toward a new administration in a few months. Um, Rob, go ahead. Yeah, well, just just about that alone, I, I think we want to be careful that efficiency isn't code for uh, reluctance to spend on things that need spending on too. But I think the idea of finding solutions that serve multiple purposes is is really really important. Um, you know, we have uh, an affordable housing crisis in the city. We've been living with an affordable housing crisis in the city for I don't know how long, and people died in basements because they were just trying to live affordably in the city. So that is both the climate crisis, meaning the affordable housing crisis. So if the city prioritizes its dollars for things that solve all of these crises, I think we have a chance at, at getting at some, some level of success. If, if we really invest in affordable housing in low-risk areas and, and are able to bring people uh, to live here affordably and out of harm's way, uh, we're, we're solving two things at once. And, and in my mind, that's the kind of efficiency I hope we'd be looking for in the future. All right, let's let's talk more about solutions. Um, Maritza has mentioned uh, a couple of really big pieces of the puzzle that have already been passed if they're executed well, um, including the state level, the uh, Community uh, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, city level, local law 97 about building emissions. Obviously, both of those need further implementation. Maritza, you can follow up a little bit more on, on what that needs to look like. But um, maybe Rob and Danny talk about a couple things that have gone right, that have that have been uh, achieved, even if they've been a little late. Um, you know, what are some encouraging things before we get into what needs to happen next? Additional solutions here. What are a couple of encouraging signs over the last number of years? What are some things that you've been uh, pleased to be either part of achieving or uh, happy to see? You know, come through. Danny, why don't, why don't you start? But you know, as we talk about these issues of resiliency, of climate, of a livable city, um, what are what are a couple of things you'd point to that people should be encouraged by in recent years? Thanks, Ben. So I, I think that you know it's important to stress too that we have an, uh, this public health emergency as well of COVID, and you know as we've seen over the course of the last eighteen months is uh, we've also been forced to reimagine our street space, and so. You know, the movement of open streets, uh, open restaurants, of recognizing especially communities that don't have access to green space. And obviously that's intersection, not just to physical and mental health, but also to environmental um, 
uh, environmental outcomes. You know, we, we've seen a, a, a shift in, in our city in terms of, uh, you know, the beginnings, we hope, of, of 25 by 25, again, of how we can give more space back to people. Uh, you know, another huge ask for our new governor is going to be congestion pricing. You know, we've been fighting for decades to get this turned on. Now we're looking at a 16 month plus 310 days. Uh, we need to be moving faster. Climate change certainly isn't waiting for, you know, our whole set of, of studies and assessments. Um, you know, it, it's been coming. So we obviously need to be moving a lot faster on that. And I would say, you know, we have a, this, this tremendous bike boom. I mean, City Bike has hit record numbers of ridership in the last year. And it's important to stress this, this was not a time when we had a lot of tourists coming in. So sustainable modes of transit are, are increasing across New York and our city needs to accelerate its pathway of building bike infrastructure. You know, soon we'll have a, a bike lane on the a dedicated bike lane on the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, that, that is a, a small uh, and a big win at the same time. We'll soon have one on the Queensboro Bridge. So the city is taking small steps, but again, it goes back to scale. You know, we've had to fight 40 years for a bike lane on the Queensboro Bridge. Who has the time to be fighting 40 years in one neighborhood for some small and significant set of change? We need to be fighting citywide for much larger pieces. And that's why I would just close with, you know, the streets master plan advanced by Speaker Johnson will be a tremendous shift in terms of, you know, hundreds of miles of protected bike and busways, uh, more pedestrian space, more green space. I mean, these are the type of ideas that we need in New York, more of them big at scale citywide uh, ideas that are not leaving communities behind, but that are better connecting us and, and making us resilient for what's to come. Yeah, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about that streets master plan and, and its promise uh, recently. And, and we'll be interested to see where the initial planning for that and implementation is coming in, in the coming months uh, ahead and, and how a new administration, both city council and mayoral uh, will deal with that uh, come January. Rob? Yeah, I mean, I probably echo a lot of what Danny said, but but to kind of wrap it up, it's, it's really what the city does well when it recognizes the assets it has and uses those assets well. So whether it's investing in public transit to connect more people across the city, uh, getting more buses, building more busways, um, those are the kinds of things that have benefits, using the public space well, and then using its tools like zoning uh, to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing um, and, and moving past the kind of unjust uh, zoning practices and, and policies of the past. So, you know, the, the city has an opportunity here to, to grasp multiple crises at once and, and really take uh, solutions that solve them all. And a lot of that's going to happen in its own realm in the public space, um, in its zones, zoning codes, in its rules. So I think the, the city has shown well that it can adjust and, and uh, incrementally change. Um, you know, the, the zoning for coastal resilience is one example where the city kind of looked at all the reasons that zoning was keeping people from recovering from things like Sandy and, and, and making changes. The comprehensive waterfront plan that the city is putting out um, is, is showing uh, the way to the future, saying that there are going to be places we shouldn't keep investing in if they can't sustain uh, themselves beyond 50 years. And if the city uses those tools well and really speeds up uh, how, how the work can be done there, um, I think we've got a chance. But it, it needs to use its assets and use its power uh, for, for the good of solving these crises. All right. In our last few minutes here, we're going to go around one more time with specifics on solutions. Um, some of you some of you got into that in that last, um, last uh, moments of, of discussion, but... Maritza, start us off in terms of 
implementation of the CLCPA, implementation of local law 97, and then take it from there on other specific things you want to see happen in the coming months and years? Well, um, just to go from the state to the city, uh, in terms of the implementation of the CLCPA, I think that is um, an incredible piece of um, legislation that was passed, um, as mentioned before. So we have to pay close attention in terms of the timelines. Uh, right now, the CAC, the, the council that is a currently um, advising uh, the next steps here, uh, continue to delay certain, of, certain conversations specifically because of the in, investment and engagement of uh, the fossil fuel industry. Um, so we have to be very careful in terms of like how we determined funds to go to. Uh, specifically in the CLCPA, we have a good law. Uh, what we don't have uh, connected to this law is investment funds. So for example, past, this past session, um, we uh, introduced a legislation, the Climate Community Investment Act, uh, that will be uh, paired with the CLCPA. This law is critical because what it does is just gets to all of the polluters across the state to pay for the pollution that they create. This can actually get us the funding that we need to be able to uh, in, improve on our infrastructure, improve on across the state, not only in New York City, on the implementation of CLCPA for renewable energy creation, uh, as well as to address the issues that we're talking today around resiliency and adaptation. So number one, I think for this new governor, um, it, she needs to look, uh, Governor Cochol, she will need to, at this point, think about this as a way to create investment funds for the implementation of the law and for us to continue to address resiliency and adaptation as soon as possible. We can't wait any longer. Secondly, in terms of the city investments, I think uh, the incoming mayor will have to actually step back and think comprehensively how all of the, the city laws that we have passed need to be interconnected, not only to reduce greenhouse emissions, but also to ensure that within the process, we are recovering for the current crisis that we're living right now, the health crisis, as I mentioned before. Um, the way in which we're thinking about this, specifically at Align and with our coalition, the Climate Works for All coalition, is just around in investing more time on the implementation of local law 97. Uh, very recently, uh, there was a Another legislation that was passed to expand uh, local on 87 to public buildings, including NYCHA, as well as public buildings that are owned by the city. And that it helps us to ensure that the upgrading of buildings are taking care across the, the sector, right? And similarly, ensure that we create green, healthy schools. It's a critical right now. We're a week away from opening up schools um, and the city has the funds. They need to just move faster and the incoming mayor will need to actually take the steps to address the environmental justice communities that have been asking for, uh, for him to really take the stand of uh, prioritizing those neighborhoods that are in the coastal areas. And lastly, ensure that when evacu evacuations are going to be needed, we need to ensure that there is a plan in place, particularly for folks in those communities. We saw that week, this week that that is not what we have, and we need to ensure that that happens. And the one more last point on another law that we did not touch on so much today, specifically around waste. On to, to 2019, we passed the commercial waste zone system. 
that actually gets to address the issues around commercial waste and how it's distributed across the state and how it's picked up across the state. The implementation of the law, it has to happen before the current mayor leaves office and the path forward for the new mayor to actually ensure that we do it. And across all of these issues, we can never forget the human cost and we can never forget the the piece around how do we create jobs in the process. I will end with that. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. Danny, you're talking about the 25 by 25 plan. Say more about what this space is being repurposed for uh, in your vision and how, uh, especially the pieces that are about creating more resiliency uh, and and the ability for the city to withstand severe weather. Yeah, Ben, look, it, it's high time that we we start turning asphalt into an asset and our streets need to serve a much higher purpose than simply moving and storing private vehicles. And for climate specifically, you know, that means a number of things. I mean, when we're talking about bioswells, which actually are are helping to, to get water out of our sewage system by creating other, you know, park, uh, other types of vegetation to slow down the process. You know, one bioswell can filter up, up to almost 90,000 gallons of rain. And again, this is a point when our city has... Uh, ideas and movements in place, and it just hasn't implemented them. I mean, there are thousands of them that are stuck in the design and construction phase. And every time we also need to talk about what that means for for repaving, this sort of wonderful uh, driver for our DOT. You know, every time the city expands roads or sidewalks by by just 1%, it increases the flood magnitude in the nearby waterways by 3%. You know, we've already talked about just, you know, living among garbage, uh, and having trash on the sidewalk is not just obviously an indignity and it's not just about accessibility for all New Yorkers, especially those for limited abilities. It's also helping to take things off of our sidewalks and streets that are clogging drains and making all these things uh, much more devastating when they do hit. So, you know, quite simply, when we're thinking about 25 by 25, we're imagining a city where streets are given back to people, their rightful owner, and in doing so, we are getting ahead of climate change. We are helping to address longstanding environmental, uh, racial, economic injustices across our our city, especially among the most vulnerable. And this is just unsustainable. I mean, for a hundred years, we've built around failure. The only pathway forward for New York is on streets that are built for people. And when we do so, we can, you know, get ahead. We can truly be a climate city. You know, I'll just say, lastly, you cannot be a climate mayor and, you know, talk a big game Uh, and still force community members to fight for years or decades for small improvements to their street that remove a few parking spots that that support just a few drivers uh, in advance of these ideas that are transformational and will support our entire city. You cannot be a climate mayor and engage in ideas and plans for 2050 and beyond uh, when there are things you can do immediately because you control the entire streets. So th- this notion of sort of a CSR approach where you can talk a nice game, but the lived reality on the streets doesn't match it, that's no longer acceptable. We need more people to understand and get in the fight and stop just listening to these press conferences and, and, and plans that are going nowhere and actually demanding change that's happening right now. That's the goal of, of all of us. That's what all of us should be doing as New Yorkers. Thank you, Rob. You you put out a statement uh, in from you at RPA um, in the aftermath of, of Hurricane Ida here, um, and I just want to read a short part of it and then let you expand on a couple pieces. Um, you know, in terms of the sort of very forward-looking part of the statement, you you said we must ensure the development of affordable housing in low-risk areas, help residents to leave high-risk areas 
invest in safe and reliable public transit and projects like Gateway, consider new innovations like using the public right of way for stormwater management at a systems level scale, and ensure we meet the greenhouse gas emission reduction targets that have been established already. Um, and we must also ensure federal infrastructure investments address these needs. I was particularly struck there by the sort of two housing pieces, but you know, feel free to expand on any of that or add to it. Um, you know, this idea of leaving high-risk areas is obviously something that you know was a discussion that was accelerated after Sandy. Uh, we saw a limited sort of uh, buyback program. Um, there was talk, including, you know, Staten Island Borough President Jimmy Otto, that that there should have been more of that, you know, the government coming in to uh, reclaim land and help people resettle. Um, so that struck me particularly about that, especially when we talked also about not just coastal areas, but in this storm, the, the basement dwellings, you know, there's there's now a new round of discussion here about whether the city should really be moving forward with encouraging more basement uh, units. Uh, but but go ahead on whatever you you know particularly want to want to highlight here as forward looking solutions. Yeah, and 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 the the, the buyout uh, quote unquote retreat topic is is a challenging and fraught one. Um, you know, I don't know that uh, we're ready to talk about retreat yet at a at a kind of uh, elected official level, but it's something that we should have been talking about for a while now. And and part of the problem is that we can't envision where people should retreat to. Um, we've built affordable housing in uh, on marginal land historically, part of our historic uh, kind of racist past, uh, and we need to figure out a solution for folks in living in at-risk areas. And this is, you know, increasingly this storm is is helping me uh, to connect the idea that affordable housing is a climate adaptation response. Uh, we need to invest in affordable housing as climate adaptation because we need uh, high quality. Uh, low risk places for people to live. Right now, people are at risk because they're they're living in places that they can afford, and water rushes in and, and takes their lives. That's not uh, that's not the the level uh, of a city. Uh, that's a, a world class city, and and we need to see that as a crisis it is, and invest in it, and really focus on affordable housing as an adaptation solution. And part of that also involves thinking ahead to the future in, in places where they're, they're, they won't be able to live anymore. Um, and, and, and city leadership is required to start having those conversations. I get it. It's a hard conversation. Uh, it's nothing we want to talk about. We do have time to plan for those places at risk in, in the low-lying coastal areas. Uh, but we have a new wrinkle here in that basements are now uh, ground zero for climate change. And so we have to figure out um, as a city uh, what we do with basement housing. It is an affordable option. It is an unsafe option if not done in the right way. And I think the city uh, should focus on that as a climate adaptation solution while also investing in new high quality affordable housing in low risk areas. All right, we're gonna leave it there unless any of you jump in with something that you you realize you wanted to mention but but didn't yet. Any Any takers on that? <laughs> All right. Uh, I, we've gone a little longer than I, I said I would keep you, but I really appreciate this discussion. Thank you to all three of you for, for joining me here. Uh, you've been listening to Max Politics here with Ben Max. I've been joined by Rob Freudenberg, the Vice President for Energy and Environment and Regional Plan Association, Maritza Silva-Farrell, the Executive Director of Align, 
and Danny Harris, the Executive Director of Transportation Alternatives. Thank all three of you uh, for, for the time and the thoughts. Uh, very much appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. All. you.